Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. I'm excited to be with you today and to be a part of this series that Pastor Pete introduced a couple weeks ago, When You Pray. And he made the habit the first couple weeks of repeating kind of the goal of this series. I think it's a great idea. I think you need to know the goal. And that's this right here behind me. It's simply that I guess City Church or Charlottesville itself would be prayer-filled more than prayer-less. The idea of talking about prayer, of sharing the things that Jesus taught about prayer, is not that we might think, oh, man, that was a great message. See you later. No, <laughs> like we really want the words, what we talk about, and the conversations that we have today to inspire you to go and pray, to be a people of prayer, knowing this, that if we are a people of prayer, and if this city is prayer-filled, not prayer-less, that'll make for a better Charlottesville, um, a better state or commonwealth, a better country, a better world. So that's our heart, and that's why we're, we're doing this. Um, I'm excited to take a turn um, here week three, and you know, Pastor Pete, when he invited me to, to do this, I, I responded very quickly, yes, I want to I do that, and I want to share this. Word. I'm excited for the word I'm going to share with you. Before we do that, I think we've got to ask this question that's begging to be asked in the title of this sermon series. When you pray is an invitation to ask the question, when do you pray? When do you pray? What does it look like? I think some of us are probably creatures of habit. You know, so maybe um, we pray at specific times. If you're like me, when you sit down to a meal, there's a whole Pavlov's dog thing happening in you. It's like the bell rings like, oh, this is prayer time. Oh, I better pray. It just feels that way. My fa family I grew up in, we prayed when we sat down to a meal. So I do that. Even if I'm in a restaurant with a group of strangers around me, it's like, oh, this is time to pray. And so you know, I do. And I don't think that's bad. I think that's largely good to, to set aside that time and pray when I sit in front of a meal, to give God thanks for it. Maybe you're a creature of habit and there are certain times of day. How many of you would say that whenever you get your first cup of coffee in the morning, it's like, oh, this is prayer time. That's the time you pray? There are a few. There are a few hands in the other services too. How many of you, it's like whenever you get out of the car to go into work, it's like, oh, all right, this is time. It just happens. I think some of us probably like the daily office of prayers. There are certain times that are set aside to pray in some denominations. That's, that's a way of life. Some of us are like that. We're creatures of habit. But then there are others. When, we, when I asked the question, when do you pray? You weren't thinking about specific times as much as you were thinking about specific seasons maybe in life or moments of desperation. How you would say a lot of times your best prayer happens when you have no other choice. It's like, uh-oh, I got to pray, right? That's just, it happens. It comes out of us. That's what I want to talk about as we get started this morning. Um, the Hail Mary. So when I say the words Hail Mary, you know, I, I threatened to do this earlier in the first service and throw this back to Peter. It's just expensive equipment back there. So instead, I want to add, buddy, will you stand up? Are you a football catcher? All right, here we go. Ready? We'll try it. Yes, all right. Now, bring it back. Right in this area. Uh oh. Oh, there you go. All right, good. Well done. 
keeping me on my toes. He did that on purpose. He was like, good. So throwing the football around in the air in this room is one thing. But the idea of throwing a football as a Hail Mary started in 1975. December the 28th, the Dallas Cowboys were taking on the Minnesota Vikings. And some of you, raise your hand if you saw this game. Impressive. You guys, I wasn't born yet or I would have watched it, I promise. I was born four years later. We'll get to that in just a second. But this moment, Roger Staubach and the Dallas Cowboys were trying to advance in the playoffs. And they found themselves outmatched by a Minnesota Vikings team that had really kept them from, from getting into the end zone. Very often that day, they had just a few seconds left. And so they dialed up the play. It was going to be this simple. Roger Staubach was going to be in the shotgun, a formation they had invented just that year. He's in the shotgun, so they snap the ball to him, and he takes a few steps back, and he's going to throw it to Drew Pearson, who's just going to run, right? That's the idea. It's not complicated. So he gets the ball, takes a few steps back, and there's a safety in the middle of the field who is leading the league in interceptions. So they know that guy's dangerous. So Roger Staubach starts like this. He fakes to the left side like this, and then he pulls it back down, and he throws it with everything he has down the right side. Drew Pearson, who's running super fast, just went into the Hall of Fame this last week. He's running down, and the, the ball comes, and he... he grabs it with one hand and it kind of slips down and he traps it against his hip and then pulls it in, turns around, takes a few steps into the end zone, touchdown, Cowboys win, and the whole world rejoice, not just the Texans, right? <laughs> the Vikings and their fans were incensed. They were convinced there was pass interference, but it was a touchdown. It was given as a touchdown. The Cowboys won, went on. In, the, in the, the locker room after the game, a reporter asked Roger Staubach, like, what? What were you thinking as y'all called that play and as, as, that went, as that went on? And he said, being the good Catholic boy he was, I just said a Hail Mary and then let it fly. And from that day, football fans like me have alluded or called that moment in any game a Hail Mary. Maybe you didn't know that. But I assure you, 10 years after that, when another young quarterback in West Texas was making his impression on the game of football in the state, well, in the backyard of 514 North Huron, we, uh, I was just, neighbor kids would come over and we'd play and we'd duke it out, just the competitive juices flowing. And every once in a while, we'd find ourselves in one of those moments and it'd be like, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, and just whoosh, throw it up. We understood in a moment of desperation what you needed was the Hail Mary. And that's the way we lived in football. At the same time, I was starting to grow in the faith as well. At about nine years old, there was something that came to our church called Leadership Training for Christ, or LTC. We called it slang. All the cool kids were doing that. So we're like, hey, you're going to do LTC? And they're like, yeah, hey, you're going to do LTC? And we didn't even know what LTC was. We started to learn. LTC was like this training program for young boys in the church to learn how to do the things that all the old guys at the church were doing. So reading scripture and praying prayers and standing behind the giant pulpit that was at our church, um, those kinds of things, preaching. And so I signed up for an event. The conference was to be held in Dallas, Texas, where all the churches would, would kind of descend and all the boys would, would come to this giant hotel. So I practiced scripture reading and I got there that day ready to go. I was dressed in all my stuffy clothes like all the other 10-year-olds were like... Just trying to make it through the moment. We're sitting down, we're nervous, nervous energy. There were actually trophies for first, second, and third place in Bible reading. 
I know, brace yourself, it gets better. So we're sitting there and we're all getting geeked up for it, ready for it, and we find out who's gonna go first. I'm not first, I'm like fifth or sixth or something like that. And so I'm sitting there waiting for the first guy to go and he gets up to do his Bible reading and he grabs his Bible like this and he turns, he says, today I will be reading, he announced it, from such and such translation. This is about blah, 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 blah. And then he began to read. But instead of reading, it was more like reciting. And he never even looked at the Bible. He just kind of said it like this, and he used arm motions like this and like this. And I was, I was sitting there thinking, whoa, this kid is amazing. He's totally going to win first place. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to win, but maybe I can still finish second or third. Well, the second guy gets up, comes up to the front of the room, same thing, like this. Except he's even better. He even pounds it at one point. We're like, I was thinking, Whoa. No, that guy's getting first. They got a second. Maybe I can still get third. Well, by the time my turn came at sixth, I realized nobody in here is Bible reading. They're all Bible reciting, and it's poetic, and it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and there's no way. I got up, and I still read my scripture. I actually looked at the page and read it because I didn't have it memorized. And then I sat down. But when I sat down, I vowed right then and there, I'm coming back next year, and I'm winning this thing. So back to Lubbock, Texas, working hard through the offseason, reading the Bible, and we picked a passage out for me, uh, Philippians chapter 2. So I got back to that ballroom, and I walked up to that pulpit, and I got myself ready, because I knew I was going to win. And it started like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. I let the whole thing go. I mean, I just nailed it. And I sat down thinking, oh, yeah, I still didn't win any trophy. But I lost something, didn't I? And it wasn't until a couple years later I realized, whoa, what was that? That was a long way from anything that the Lord loved. But competitive juices flowing in me, this, this appetite, to like this drive to win, turned me into a, like a scripture reciting machine, uh, and, and for all the wrong reasons. I tell you that story because I believe the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about the Lord's Prayer is in large part to address the same kind of attitude and the same kind of heart. The context of this truth and this prayer is one we got to know before we can really accept the teaching, I think. So I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're going to read a big chunk of Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, um, verses 1 through 15 here. And I'm not apologizing for that, man. I think that's a good idea. Um, in fact, I think it would be a better idea if at some point today you went back and grabbed hold of the whole thing, Matthew 5 through 7 and heard the whole truth Jesus is, is giving his disciples. But for us, Matthew 6, 1 through 15, I think will do the, do the job. Listen for what's going on as Jesus shares this prayer. And then we'll, I think, get uh, to the root of what I want you to hear today about the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. 
Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oh, wow. Right? Like, maybe that hits home in a different way. You see, as Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer, he does it almost like a prescription for the toxic thing prayer had become. You know, just like giving, prayer was something that was done publicly for others to see as a demonstration of my awesomeness. You know, sometimes prayer can be performative like that, right? Like there's, there's a moment when you find yourself in a group of people and someone asks you to pray, and instead of praying just the straight line to the Lord, you're praying around here like, oh, I'm going to say these words because maybe that would be kind of impressive for that person. Or I'm going to say this because that would... All of a sudden, we can find ourselves living a lot like the Pharisees. But that's not kingdom prayer. I want to introduce this idea that winning prayer, prayer that really cheers the heart of God, is kingdom prayer. And kingdom prayer is winning prayer. But in order for it to really be winning prayer and really be kingdom prayer, it has to be invested in more than your own self-interest. Now, let me be careful to say this. There are times when you're really in crisis and you're really struggling and you're really frustrated and it is not wrong for you to send up a prayer of desperation. In fact, our God loves that. He loves that you turn to him and you pursue him and you're crying out to him in that. But kingdom prayer goes beyond just that. There's more to prayer than just that. My own victory. My own win. Kingdom prayer considers others. And considers the kingdom. Think about it this way. The Lord's prayer is relentless in its commitment to its communal nature. Think about this. It, it's not my Father in heaven. It's our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day, might know. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive me, might know. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead me not, no, lead us not into temptation, but deliver me, from, no, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, it's relentless. It never lets up. It's always this, this example, this model that, that means prayer is not just about me. It's about us. And Jesus didn't just teach this. He also modeled it. You know, in fact, I'm going to argue that I really think that if Jesus had been asked, 
hey, Lord, you know, in, in this, this Bible thing, would you point to us like, you know, like the Lord's Prayer? He might not have pointed to the one he handed the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount that he was teaching. You know, because the truth is, like, he didn't say, hey, Matthew, when you write this down for people later, make sure at the top you write down the Lord's Prayer so they know this is the one I'm talking about. It didn't carry that distinction. You know, Jesus might have pointed to John 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus is about to go to the cross. But with his last moments of freedom on the earth, what did he do? He knelt and he prayed in a garden. Even as he was feeling the pressure of going to the cross, he was sweating drops of blood, he thought to pray. And I want you to to go with me to John 17 real quick to notice how Jesus prayed as an example of kingdom prayer, as an example of of the Lord's prayer. So John 17, I want you to flip over there real quick. And we're not going to read all of this prayer as much as I want you to notice a few things about it. Again, the context here is Jesus is on his way to the cross. He knows the time is short. And he starts his prayer with that in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Now you understand Jesus here is, could be in a moment of crisis in his life where it's like, God, like, I'm throwing it up. Like, I just need your help. Like, help. And Jesus does ask for help. He starts there. But notice the way he asks it's not just, Father, um, you know, help me to win this whole crucifixion thing or you know, just you know, make it not hurt or speed it up. Instead, the prayer is, Father, glorify your Son so that I can glorify you. Even in that intense and overwhelming pressure, Jesus prays beyond his own self-interest. You know, we know from the other gospel accounts that, that Jesus does have this moment where he's like, Father, if possible, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Which sounds a lot like the Lord's Prayer, but this is the prayer Jesus prayed. And I want you to notice this. It starts with an honest, like, the, the time has come. It's now, Lord. So glorify me so I can glorify you. But then the prayer grows beyond his own experience, and he names the disciples. And he starts to pray for his disciples. I, re- I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they've obeyed your word. Now they know everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me. And he says in verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. For they are yours. So his prayer grows beyond his own self-interest. Now to, to those near him. Those who he's, he's shared the road with and shared ministry with. But in an amazing turn... His prayer doesn't stop there. It gets even bigger. The circle gets even greater. Notice what he prays in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now think about how big the circle gets in that moment. For all who will believe in me through their message, who's that? Us, those sitting in this room, even children who haven't yet come to believe that might be down in kid space. Like, how big is this circle? And Jesus is on the, the edge, the eve of, of his crucifixion. And his heart, his kingdom prayer is not just me, but those with me. And not just those with me, but those who will come after me, who will believe. What a prayer! 
Do you know anybody who prays like that? Most of us may think of our grandmothers. You have a grandmother in the faith, like mine, who, who had this circle she would draw around anybody she knew who needed prayer. And we have a big family. And she lifted us up and made it her mission to do so and to see the, the kingdom grow. In fact, my grandmother prayed for you. Ramarillo, Texas. It's a long way from Charlottesville, Virginia. That was her heart. And that's the Lord's heart. Not my will, but yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a lot bigger prayer than maybe we're inclined to pray. Oh, you might be thinking, you're like, um, all right, yeah, but like, I thought we were talking about football, and then you lost me. Like, okay, so let's bring it back to football just for a moment. In football, there are two teams going at it, right, typically, one Sunday or one Saturday or a Friday night occasionally. And uh, they're going after it, right? And there's, at the end of the game, time runs out, there's a winner and there's a loser, right? Well, that's the way football is. Well, what about the kingdom of God? Well, there's, there's clearly good and evil. Well, what about the people we live with and the people we work with? How do they fit? You know, David was obsessed with victory. Really, David was just obsessed with, like, staying alive. If you read a lot of the Psalms, he keeps mentioning this enemy and it's coming to get him. And David's not paranoid. Like, this is his life. People are coming to kill him. And then he's the king and people are whispering in and around him. And David's not paranoid. He really is under threat. And in response to that, David prays, break the teeth of the wicked. Like, smash him up. Like, that's good football stuff, right? In the land of, like, snot bubbles and, like, like, that's a part of the game. And it can be a part of life. But think about what Jesus did when he started preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, just before he shares the Lord's Prayer, he says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Whoa. Wait a second. That's taking it a little too far, Jesus. No, that's kingdom prayer. If you think about it, that's really winning prayer. What if instead of going to war with coworkers that stand opposed to our faith, we prayed for them? What if instead of going to a war with neighbors that, that just don't appreciate our way of life and might be going out of their way to make life difficult? What if, what if instead of going to war with family members who, who don't agree with our faith or our stand on the way life should be lived and the, the truth of the gospel, what if instead of going to war with those people, we prayed for them? And we saw this as an opportunity to pray kingdom prayer. Because Paul got this. And when he wrote to the Ephesians, he encouraged them and reminded them, look, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. There is an enemy but it's invisible. The devil is looking to steal and to kill and destroy. We know that. But the people you rub elbows with week to week, day to day, hour to hour at your job or in your neighborhood, those are people that should be in your prayers. So what would that look like? What would that sound like? 
going to invite the worship team up to help us transition a little bit. But I want to I share some final words with you on what it looks like to really pray kingdom prayer. And first of all, I want to remind you, kingdom prayer is humble. Kingdom prayer isn't looking to win a trophy for first, second, or third place. Kingdom prayer sees beyond your own self-interests. Not that your own self-interests aren't important. You bring those, you share those, you're honest about those, but kingdom prayer is bigger than that. No, kingdom prayer is an invitation for his kingdom come and his will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You know, every Wednesday night, we meet in this room. There aren't quite this many of us for prayer. But we gather here with a heart to pray for the kingdom of God. And you know what's cool about that is I don't always come into this room knowing what's going to happen. In fact, I'll be honest, a lot of times I come around John Warner Parkway here and I'm just tired. Um, and sometimes I don't want to be here. I just want to like go to sleep somewhere. <laughs> but I still come in that door and every single time since COVID started and we've met in here on Wednesday nights, every single time I've walked away blessed. And it's not because I brought my own self-interest in here and I was like, hey, Lord, so here's all the stuff I want you to do this week. And it'd be nice if you work on this and this as well. No, what, come, what happens is we come in here and we bring your requests. Any responses we get during the week via email or, or, or text, we bring those in here and we share them. And then other requests that come in the room with us or things that are going on in our lives or people we've heard from, and we bring them in here and we, we lift them up together. And God hears from heaven. And we see his kingdom come and his will be done as we leave the room. I mean, it's, it's an invitation open to all of you. Any Wednesday night, you can find us here praying together. And I hope you will. More than anything, I hope you'll grow a heart for kingdom prayer.